1: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place.
3: The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska! Did you ever see anything about Sesca that made you suspicious?
4: The Bob Seska Show!
2: From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, November 2, 2022, and this is the Bob Seska interview on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi. Day 652 of the Biden-Harris administration, six days until the 22 midterms. Find me on Instagram, Seska. Twitter, BobSeska underscore go for now, and our Patreon page is BobSeskaShow.com. Did you hear that? Six days to go. Six days to make sure we save democracy. And one of the best ways we can do that is to start flipping state legislatures, right? That's where all the really awful shit is going down. Anti-abortion laws, voter suppression laws, big lie laws, anti-gay, anti-trans laws, you name it. So as part of the two-minute warning before Election Day, I thought we'd check in with the great Gabby Goldstein from Sister District to prep us for voting in the state legislature category. We'll also talk about ballot roll-off and how, duh, we need to vote in every category on our ballots. Don't let Republicans win because you decided you were done after voting for the big congressional races. SisterDistrict.com to support Gabby's organization. Meantime, please help support this show by subscribing to our bonus content at show.com All right, let's talk to Gabby.
4: More fun, more music, the Bob Suska Show.
2: hey how you doing welcome back to the show
0: thank you so much bob how are
2: you i'm doing great i'm so glad you're back on the show because i need a distraction from screaming about elon musk on twitter (laughs) because i'm doing it way too much so i I need to get my head focused back into november eight and the, the midterms and especially state and local uh elections and so on and And so this is uh, just perfect. I'm so glad you come back to the show, Gabby.
0: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, you know, I think we all need a little bit of a break from the Musk drama. And (laughs) uh, there is so much that is happening that is that is even dare I say more consequential to the future of our country than even that. So.
4: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah, you know, what? as uh, I spend all kinds of time screaming at Elon Musk on Twitter, I realize that there are many things that are more consequential to the country than Elon Musk. So let's dig into all of that. How are you feeling about the midterms at this point?
0: Well, you know, look, I know that uh, a lot of folks are uh, traveling along the polar coaster, as we say, right? Uh, We're up, we're down, we're sideways. Uh, Who knows? I mean, I Mm. think that the important part is that the polls are are, they're crazy making let's be honest yes they're crazy making and really all they can tell us at this point is that things are really close in a lot of states and races across the country and you know that is an accomplishment Mm -hmm. for president's party i mean it is typical that the president's party loses ground in, in midterm elections. And so the fact that things are so close, uh the fact that um uh you know Democrats and progressives have really uh, made such a compelling case for why uh why we should be in the fight this year yeah. is an accomplishment and that's worth remembering in in all the rigmarole around the polls and and, and what's going on.
2: Obviously you're advising Ignore the polls? Is that what we should do at this point?
0: Yeah, you know, I think that the thing that's important to remember is that a lot of these high profile contests um, in various states uh, are polling within the margin of error, right? And really yeah. close. And so, you know, I really love what Mike Podhorser says. Uh, he's kind of a, a bit of a godfather in progressive hmm. uh, strategy circles. And he likes to say, don't think about it as a margin of error. Thinking about think about it as being within the margin of effort. And mm-hmm. I love that because it means that, you know, whichever party talks to more voters between now and and next Tuesday, that will determine the outcome. Right. And so um, you know, I, I'm 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 excited that we are within the margin of effort where, hmm. you know, the the elbow grease between now and, and and next week will really make a difference in so many races across the country. And uh, that's the important part. So who cares if the polls say we're up or down? The important part now is talking to voters and getting them out to vote.
2: Right. And I like our position as underdogs, uh, irrespective of the power divide in Washington, D.C., We are absolutely underdogs going into this midterms as the party in power normally is in a midterm like this, because it's conventional wisdom that the party in power is going to lose seats across the board. But I don't think that's happening this year. I think we're in a new paradigm, Gabby. I think we've turned the corner to something different that we haven't experienced before with increased participation, increased voter registration. I think this is a whole new ball game, And that's one of the things that I think is giving me hope and optimism going into this midterm as opposed to 2014, for example, 2014 was a nightmare. 2010 was a nightmare. But this is a new era, don't you think?
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think midterm turnout records are likely to be shattered this year. Um, you know, it should we should come in somewhere between 18, 2018 and 2020, which is incredible. Yeah. And, you know, enthusiasm, I think, fueled by abortion restrictions from the Supreme Court, fueled by the January 6th hearings, which enumerated the Republican crimes mm-hmm. committed against this country. Uh, have has really fueled um, uh, enthusiasm on our side, so that it is it is really high this year, and um, and, and that's all good news. And and in you know as as we said, we're within the margin of effort in in contests all over the country. But I think it's really important to remember that there's there are a lot more races happening this year that that the future of our democracy, frankly, hinges on than just these U.S. Senate and governor even governor's races that are getting um, a lot of attention and deservedly so but there's there's something else going on this year and it's our state legislative races yes and you know, I think that folks uh, are starting to understand that the future of our democracy runs through our state legislatures. We saw this all throughout the January 6th hearing. Um, I was just reading an article this morning about um, some of the January 6th findings around, um, you know, Eastman uh, having been in contact with Georgia state legislators and wanting them to, quote, quote, kick into high gear mm-hmm. after the election to, to sort of you know rewrite history in Georgia. Um, we saw in Jan, the January 6th uh, uh, hearings and all the rest how critical state legislatures were in holding the line uh, to, to keep our democracy on its legs in 2020. Uh, and we need to remember that whoever we elect this year to our state legislatures, 2022, they will be in office during that critical post-2024 election.
4: Yes, period. yes. It
0: doesn't matter who we elect to state legislatures in 2024. They won't be coming into power until January, right? So this is the year where our state legislative races will have a direct, direct impact on the outcome of the 2024 election and whether Republicans can continue to use their unearned, gerrymandered legislative majorities in state houses across the country to rewrite election outcomes regardless of the vote. So I think it's really, really critical for folks to to remember that there's more on the ballot this year. The other thing I wanted to just mention briefly about state legislatures, in case folks aren't paying attention, in <laughs> case folks aren't paying attention, this Supreme Court is not a friend to voting <laughs> rights and yeah. uh and, and any sort of vision of the country that aligns with progressive values. There's a case that the court is going to hear in oral arguments in December called Moore v. Harper. And I think it's a really important case for folks to Google, learn about it, duck, Mm -hmm. duck, go it for that search engine, uh, uh, privacy-focused search engine. Um, But this case, Moore v. Harper, is poised to further expand state power, state legislative power over federal election. It is a case, it's going to sound bonkers when we say it out loud, but this is literally what this case is, what the Republicans from North Carolina are arguing in this case before the Supreme Court, that state legislatures, state legislatures have full and unfettered, unchecked authority over federal elections in their states. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, forget state constitutions, forget, you know, forget the courts. It's the state legislatures who should have uh, the sole, essentially sole authority over federal elections. And as you can imagine, that would really be a checkmate on, frankly, the checks and balances Uh, between, you know, uh, courts and and legislatures and governors and even independent commissions for redistricting and states, all the rest. If the Supreme Court validates this bunkers theory called the independent state legislature theory, Mm -hmm. court validates that theory in the Moore v. Harper case, it would expand state power even further. So We need to keep that in mind as well for this year's state legislative elections. There's so much hinging on the composition of our state legislatures. And these are often really overlooked races for progressives. We really, really need to turn that around, especially this year.
2: Absolutely. And I think the assumption should be that the Supreme Court will uphold the independent state legislature thing. So this has got to be a gigantic priority, which is precisely why sister district is uh, is so needed right now
0: yeah i think that's exactly right you know so the right. there's so much we can learn from the mm-hmm. right and, and um you know i sometimes joke but it's kind of not a joke but it's kind of a joke that carl rove is a political hero of mine um <laughs> uh, you wow. know uh, i i know i know <laughs> but but so it's kind of a joke it's kind of not a joke um you know the the thing that is so clear about the right is uh, that they have a very streamlined set of um, marching orders, a very streamlined, consolidated set of ideas, and an infrastructure. And what we have on the left is a much more diffuse set of organizations, issues that we care about. Um, it's much it's a big tent, right? Yeah, and yeah. so. For a variety of reasons, we're in a position uh, where we are decades and decades behind the right when it comes to building state power. And, you know, I I would argue that this goes back right to to the founding of the country uh, or, you know, very very far into our past where the idea of state power is very emotionally resonant on the right, Um, you know, call it states' rights, call it, uh, you know, uh, the, the the southern recalcitrant towards reconstruction I mean it goes really far back uh, this idea that building state power is important and that state power is um, is, is, an, is a key to the uh, conservative ideology mm-hmm. we don't really have that on our side. Uh, we don't have a deep connection to the idea of state power. We, um, on the other hand, we have a strong connection to the idea of federal power. And as a consequence, we've really over invested, in my view, in building infrastructure um, to affect federal policy, to, to you know, federal advocacy and accountability and litigation and all the rest, really to the to the mutual exclusion of building state power. We could have been doing both all along, which is what the right has done. They've built power at at both levels of government, but we really didn't. We really just, you know, in my in my view, overinvested in federal uh, power building. So now we're in this position where states are are growing power. Um, you know, we certainly saw that uh, this summer with the Supreme Court decision uh, in in Dobbs, right? Yeah, pulling uh, back uh, the federal uh, constitutional protection for abortion access, roll giving that back to states to decide. Uh, many, many instances from the Supreme Court and and otherwise that indicate to us that. State power is growing so you're exactly right we're in we're we are we are in existential need of building state power for progressives and really in my view not just being against all the terrible as you call it shit that mm-hmm. the republicans are doing in our states <laughs> you know god knows they're doing plenty of terrible shit yeah um yeah. but we have to also be for something right mm-hmm. and and something that uh, not Shankar Osario, who's um, a progressive messaging expert, always tells us is that we can't just be against the terrible things that, um, that Republicans are doing. We have to have our own vision of, of why things would be better for everyone if, if we were in power. And I think that that's uh, something else that we need to be working on at the state level so that our side can, can really feel good about building state power and investing there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so I think we're going to have a long haul when it comes to any serious final results when it comes to this coming up election. And that is because of just the very nature of elections now. Uh, the, The last two, I think it was one of those things where it was touch and go on election night. We didn't know what was happening and at one point it looked like we were going to lose everything and I think that happened both in 2018 and in 2020 and then as the ballots started to roll in some of the absentee ballots early votes and so on mail-in ballots things started to go our way so looking at state legislature races are there any particular races that you've targeted as bellwethers races that let's say east coast races maybe or what have you That will give us an impression on Tuesday night where this is all headed, you know, sort of like these previous special elections that we've seen going back to the ballot initiative uh, in Kansas. In particular, the New York 18th and so on. Those are all bellwethers as far as I'm concerned. Are there any state legislature bellwethers that we can watch for Tuesday night?
0: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I completely agree that I don't know that we're going to have results everywhere on Tuesday night and we should be ready for that. That's Mm -hmm. to be expected. That's not a bad thing. Remember the Republican playbook at this point. This is, is, I think, a really important point. Their plan and their playbook is to, uh, you know, claim early that they've won uh, before results are in. And and then refuse to accept results that that come in later. And make you know by making false claims about election security and and you know ballots ballots and all that. Um, and so it's really important that we, we we plan for results to come in over a longer period of time, um, and not give in to this initial uh, barrage of messaging that the Republicans are going to unleash uh, that they've already won. Um, very very important. So. You know, uh, in terms of the state, state chambers and, and, um, and races that I think are, are bellwethers in a broader sense, not in terms of time, you know, earliest to call them, but, um, you know, what they will show us in terms of our success generally this election or our failure generally this election um, at, in state legislatures, I would put in, in along a bell curve, one end is Michigan where we have i think the strongest opportunity to flip a chamber this mm-hmm. year which would be the, the Michigan state senate um the house is is, is quite competitive as well michigan you know w- labored under horribly re- gerrymandered maps for decades yeah. uh, that the republicans um, had had made these you know just terrible maps unfair unfair maps that gave themselves an unfair advantage and a long-standing majority. Well, in 2018, the people of Michigan said, you know what, we wanna put this on a ballot initiative and see if we can get an independent commission to draw our lines instead of the Republican controlled legislature. And that ballot initiative passed in Michigan, and so what it meant is that this round of maps that we have now in Michigan was not drawn by the Republicans in the legislature. It was drawn by an independent commission. And look, no map is perfect. I'm not here to say that the Michigan maps are perfect, but they are a world away from the the gerrymandered oh, maps yeah. of your. And um, they're good maps. Mm. They give both parties a you know a fair shot at competing for legislative majorities. And of course, we've seen Democrats win statewide and nationally in Michigan for many, you know, cycles and cycles. So there's very good reason to believe that that Democrats will do, you know, should do well uh, in Michigan this year in the legislature. So that's at one end of the spectrum, where I think we've got a really good shot, uh, fair maps, um, the the you know polling landscape and, and all the rest for whatever it's worth and as we said not much at this point mm-hmm. but it's holding up well in Michigan you know Go- Governor Gretchen Whitmer uh, is well liked and should provide some coattails and all the rest so that's at one end of the spectrum where I think we we should do well the other end of the spectrum is a state that I I think uh, has been given short shrift. Uh, by Democrats this year and, frankly, in a lot of years, and that's Nevada. And, you know, I think of Nevada as this year, potentially this year's Virginia. Now, folks may remember last year in Virginia, Virginia has this, you know, very antiquated system where they hold their legislative elections in odd years. We don't call them off years. There's no <laughs> off in campaigns. They are odd-year elections. So they held their their elections in 2021, and, uh, and de- you know, a lot of folks across the country wrote it off as, uh oh, Virginia, that's a safe blue state. They voted for the Democratic, you know, uh, 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 candidate for, for president for, you know, 15 years. And, you know, it was a blue state. Well, we knew it wasn't a blue state. We knew it was a purple state. We had just gotten a, a blue trifecta in in, um, in Virginia just in 2019. And lo and behold, last year, Virginia flipped its lower chamber, flipped red. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that there was a collective, by a very, very narrow margin, that's something yeah. I want to talk about, uh, 733 votes only out of millions of votes cast last year mm-hmm. separated us from maintaining control in Virginia. 700 votes. But we'll talk about that. But the point being, I think that Virginia was really written off as a safe blue place and, you know, we don't have to worry about it and i really think that nevada is that is is a state like that that's here people think of nevada as a blue state it's in a precarious spot and its legislature for which by the way is the first majority women female legislature in our nation. Uh, they also have a majority of uh, women on their state Supreme Court and, of course, their congressional and Senate delegations. Um, but in any case, uh, their legislature is is on the precipice of flipping red this year in Nevada. And I think that that's, uh, that w- will be kind of the other, not bellwether, but um, other side of, of the, the bell curve for mm-hmm. us in terms of our success or failure is what happens in Nevada and whether we're able to hold on to those two chambers, um, which are very, very important for Democrats. Uh, I think, you know, those, those two are kind of the extremes of what, um, what, what we might be looking out for on, on Tuesday, but not Tuesday, remember, because it may (laughs) drag on several days and that's good. That's, that's okay. That's, that's, as things should
2: be. Right, right. But if, say, for example, the Michigan legislature goes the way we want it to go, uh, and we hear about that Tuesday night, do you get the sense that uh, that's going to be a signal that the Democrats are going to have a good midterms? That's, I think that's the main thing that we're all kind of looking at. Like, Are there going to be any clues? On Tuesday night, they're going to kind of tip us off that, okay, I can breathe a little bit here, or maybe not. Maybe the opposite will end up being true, and we can kind of get a sense of where everything is moving, even though we're not going to really have any final results that night, which is probably the case, yeah.
0: I mean, I wish I could say that, look, if I had a crystal ball, I'd be in a yacht somewhere. I would not be talking to you, Bob,
2: right? Right. (laughs) Sure. Sure um, but,
0: but what I can say is that I think it's important for, for us to all remember that the voting laws in country and administration and so forth are very heterogeneous, right? They vary state to state and things have changed between 2020 and 2022, right? I mean, a lot of states have, have kicked, a lot of red states have kicked into even higher gear with voter suppression and, and, and all the rest. Um, And so, you know, what happens in Michigan uh, may not, you know, have much bearing on what the results are in, say, Georgia, uh, you know, given the fact that Georgia has a much different set of voting laws and and voter suppression tactics than, than in other states. So unfortunately or i would say it's a feature not a bug at this point we're just going to have to wait for the return and um and see but i would yeah. say that there are some things that we can you know learn from the past in terms of what we might expect this year and one thing that you know i want to touch on we we touched on it just briefly is how close state ledge races are and and um uh, and 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 entire chambers hang on on just a few votes. So yeah. there's that. But even before that, I think there's something else that we know now, regardless of what happens next week. We know it now, which is that Democrats struggle with ballot roll-off. Oh yes. And this is something that we struggle with worse than Republicans do. So this is a phenomenon where you know. Folks, voters vote, they'll go out and they'll vote at the top of the ticket, they'll vote for president uh, or or governor or U.S. senator, but they don't vote all the way down the ballot, all the way down to, you know, say state legislature, state legislative Mm candidates. That's let
2: off what why is it's, that just just i'm sorry to interrupt uh, gabby but yeah. why is it why do people do that why do people you know i basically coitus interrupt us right in the middle of their ballot ah <laughs> uh, you know what i'm done i haven't voted in every category but ah uh, screw it i'm just gonna go i'm gonna go home now
0: i love that you made that metaphor because uh, <laughs> uh you know, going back to it, not shanker rosario she had this amazing ad this year uh or you know um political, um, campaign video, uh, that was called, do you go down? And it was very, uh, it was all about, do you go all the way, do you vote all the way down the ballot? But it was, it was, uh, it, was it was, very sexy. So you brought, you brought that in there. <laughs> um, but, so, you know, what I would say is this, um, we can get into the why, but let's first quantify the what. Like what's happening? And so we did a bunch of research on it this year on down-ballot roll-off, specifically at the state ledge level where no one has really spent much time looking before. And we were we were curious about a couple of things. First, we were curious, like, how bad is roll-off in general? You know, we, taught, we say it colloquially, oh yeah, voters roll off their ballot, but how bad is that problem? The second thing we were really interested in is, do democrats experience it more than republicans is there a partisan skew to ballot roll off yeah. and so our, our our results our findings were really really staggering so both parties roll off their ballots you know sometimes uh, uh, so meaning that at the bottom of the ballot those those folks um, tend to get fewer votes than than their up ballot co-partisans right people running on the same ticket mm-hmm. uh, but they're on the ballot. But Democratic voters roll off at much higher rates than Republican voters. So here's an example of that. So we looked about 20 years back of worth of data across 10 battleground states, the 10 states with the closest presidential margin. And what we found was that Democrats running in contested state-led races, so where there was a Democrat and a Republican running, Democrats in those races experienced roll-off almost 80% of the time. 80%, so that's a loss. Wow. But wait, but wait. Contested state-led Republicans only experienced roll-off 37% of the time.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah, so, there it is. Yep.
0: Yeah, so both parties experienced this phenomenon, but we experienced it much more profoundly and much more often. And so there's a huge partisan skew To to ballot roll off, and so then so that's the what what's happening. Um, Yes, roll off happens. Both parties experience it, and Democrats experience it much more frequently and more profoundly than Republicans. Your question is why. Well, that's a different question. There's been some academic literature on it. You know, asking people why do they you know. Why do you not vote all the way? And there's some indication that at least for some voters, they feel that they you know, don't know enough at the bottom of the ticket to, to vote, you know, if you don't know who the candidates are, or all the rest. But here's what we can say from our findings. That is a, not merely the concern for Republicans than it is for Democrats. Mm. They are much more willing to vote straight party and straight ticket than we are. And um, and so that's something that we're going to have to address in the long term, right? Through civic engagement, you know, teaching, like demonstrating to folks that state and local government is important, and connecting the dots for 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 all of us about why the policies that are set at that level by those people really impact our lives. And then in the short term, like this year and and you know going into twenty three and twenty four. Democrats have to make a central part of their argument that people, that our voters need to be voting the whole ballot, all the way down the ballot. And, you know, I want to be clear, I'm not suggesting that you can, uh, you know, outvote voter suppression and and all of that sort of stuff. But also true, you know, there's sometimes people say, well, you can't just tell people to vote harder. Well, actually, Bob, I'm here to tell you we can tell people to vote harder. Yes. Because if you're voting at the top of your ballot and you're not voting for state ledge. You did not vote as hard as you could have. Mm-hmm. And we have, to, we have to encourage our voters to vote all the way down the ballot this year. And then, as I said, this has to be a long term project for Democrats.
2: Okay, here's the best way to listen to The Bob Seska Show without all of these commercial interruptions. Just go right now to our Patreon page at bobseskashow.com. Scroll down to the link for the ultimate edition of the podcast and sign up for just $15 per month. You say, oh my God, $15 a month, that's a lot of money. Well, in exchange for your generous support, we're going to give you a completely commercial-free version of the Tuesday show, the Wednesday show, and the Thursday show. Plus, you're going to get the Shadow Docket every Tuesday and Thursday, but wait still more You're also going to get the Friday After Party podcast with me and Kimberly Johnson included in that level of support, all for just $15 per month. Again, that's bobseskashow.com, and we thank you. Delve into the shadows
0: of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe, now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't
1: recall.
2: Yeah, it seems like we are our own worst enemy sometimes. If we untied that one hand that's tied behind our back and actually went out and did all the things that we should be doing, getting out the vote from registered Democrats who don't typically vote, and then making sure that every Democratic voter... Votes all the way down their ballot and doesn't skip any of those state and local races, we would actually start winning some of these uh, very, very close races, as well as dominating the other ones. We just have to do it. We just have to make the effort to stop uh, undermining ourselves.
0: And also, this is hopeful. This is a hopeful Place to take the conversation, which is that, just as you said, these are tiny margins that will decide these races. Right. And, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, and as you said, if we could just get a few more, you know, of our own voters to, to vote all the way down the ballot, we could really build power here. So we mentioned Virginia last year, millions and millions of over 3 million votes cast, right, for Democrats. Um, and and 733 votes separated us from control of that chamber in the three closest seats in in, in Virginia.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: That's just one example. I mean, another example is let's look at 2020. Right, we Democrats took the uh, you know Joe Biden carried Arizona, the state of Arizona, right? Um, and but but we did not win those state legislatures. We did not. Flip those chambers even though we were very close. And here's here's a remarkable stat there. So if Democratic candidates running for state ledge in, in the two closest races in the Arizona State House, if if, if they had just gotten 4,400 more votes out of 5 million votes cast, that's 0.09% of the total vote cast. If we had just gotten 4,400 more votes,
4: mm-hmm.
0: we would have flipped. The yeah. Arizona State House in 2020.
4: Wow! Right,
0: wow. and similarly, like the Minnesota Senate is another example. If we had gotten just 1,800 more votes in the two closest districts in the Minnesota Senate, we would have flipped that chamber in, in 2020. And so, you know, Democrats are often closer to winning power in state chambers than 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 it might seem, um, which I think is a really strong call to arms. For us to keep fighting for every vote. Right. Yeah. And that that votes, you know, you you may feel like your vote doesn't matter very much when it comes to the president, although it sure does in, in a lot of states. Right. Um, but but definitely, you know, you could be in the bluest state in the in the country or the reddest state in the country and your vote will matter for state legislature and for local offices. Mm-hmm. So um, so you know we are within a fighting chance of building power at this at this level we really just have to make the case to voters about why they should bother voting all the way down the
4: ballot.
2: Yeah and as if the last several elections haven't convinced us that every vote counts. I don't know what will. I mean as you said uh, some of these elections in fact many of these elections are decided by one or two percentage points. And so, Much? yeah, turning away people from supporting Democrats just because uh, 20 years ago they supported the Iraq war and were, were Republicans. I don't buy that. I, if they're willing to vote for Democrats, bring them into the fold and welcome them with open arms, because that will tip the balance and get us the policies that we want. Turning away votes or voters, to me, just shouldn't be part, shouldn't even be an option And and so it it, it baffles me that we're willing to make things more difficult for ourselves, uh, especially in this uh, period of time. And one of the cases that I'm looking at closely, I don't know if you've been following what's happening with the Oregon governor's race, where Betsy Johnson, who's a third party candidate, taking votes away from the Democratic nominee, helping the Republican win. And not just helping the Republican win, but helping the Republican win for the first time in 40 years yeah. What are you hearing about that race out there?
0: You know I am tongue tied and speechless um, over over what's happening in that race. Um, and and you know Oregon is not a target for us because we focus strictly on state legislature sure um, but but you're but you're right that the power is likely you know it's not just Oregon. There are a number of states where, the the future of our party and frankly of the country lies in the balance, uh, and governors' races this year are extremely important. You know, in addition to Oregon, I, I just go would go back to what's happening in Michigan and how critically important it is to reelect Gretchen Whitmer, who has been a backstop against the, the, the truly, you know, to to use Bob's term, the shit that Republicans are doing in the legislature in Michigan. Um, she has been a critical backstop there. I would say also, Tony Evers in, in Wisconsin, that, you know, Wisconsin is, uh, in a in a very very precarious situation, where and I would put North Carolina in this category as well, um, where those state legislatures hang on the precipice of falling into Republican supermajority, mm-hmm. uh, which means you know that even though they have, even if they retain under Democratic governorships, if you if you if your party has a supermajority in the legislature that can override the governor's veto. So it doesn't even matter if you have a Democrat as your governor, they can't veto bills that have a, what's called a veto majority or a right. super majority. So, you know, reelecting, uh, reelecting Evers in, in Wisconsin is incredibly important and uh, in making sure that we don't fall into super minority there. And, you know, again, there are, I mean, Arizona, where do you want to start with Carrie Lake mm-hmm. and, Insanity going on in that in that gubernatorial race, um, but I would say too, in each of the states that we just mentioned, including in Oregon, there are incredible state ledge candidates, Democrats running, uh, who are receiving a fraction of the attention and the resources and the interest. Uh, that they that the, that the that the governors are, and look, I'm not saying governors uh, are not important; they are extremely important, but we really have to diversify our interests as voters and as members of the public, um, people who are engaged in politics and include you know broaden our imagination and include state legislative candidates and policies and issues. Uh, in in our purview of what we're paying
2: attention to. All right, one last break. Back with more Gabby right after this.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
4: Bob Zeska plays more music.
2: Yeah, and and, you know, one of the reasons I brought up the Oregon race too, the Oregon uh, governor's race, and, and by the way, I sometimes have trouble saying the word gubernatorial. Not because I have trouble pronouncing it. I just don't like the word. (laughs) So Sometimes it's like a struggle to get that word out. Oh, uh, you mean I've got to say gubernatorial right now? How do you do that with any dignity whatsoever? But regardless, uh, one of the reasons I brought that up is I get the sense, and maybe you can disabuse me of this paranoia, but I get the sense that If a lot of contrarians are coming out to vote for the third party candidate in the governor's race, they may also vote third party in some of the state legislature races. Thus, again, not with the same numbers as the governor's race, but enough to kind of whittle away at Democratic support at the state legislature level. So it's I'm I'm kind of in a weird way connecting all of those races and uh, and worrying about the effect of that in a state like Oregon.
0: You are a million percent correct that this is a game of inches mm-hmm. and carving away or plucking off a few voters here or there is ha- is, a, is a is a central tactic here on the Republican side in general, right? If you can pluck off, you know, a few African American voters through uh, voter suppression tactic. And, you know, other black and brown voters by taking away ballot boxes and closing early voting. Yeah. Um, you know, if you can carve away a few voters by running a third party candidate, um, you know, we saw this in in Florida in 2020, um, where Republicans ran uh, fake third party candidates, sometimes occasionally even fake Democrats against other Democrats in primaries and so forth. This is something that happened in Florida in 2020. Um, as a strategy, again, just as you're alluding to, in this game of inches, carve off a centimeter here or there. Gosh, I'm mixing my metrics and, and uh, other, um, what do you what do we even call it, Not what Metrics it, whatever. <laughs> product of California public schools. What do you, what can I say? <laughs> Double California golden bear from UC Berkeley. So don't, <laughs> don't, um, but, but seriously, if you can just carve off a few voters here and there, uh, especially in these races that are decided by a handful of votes, that's the ball game. That's mm-hmm. the whole ball game. And so, yes, they have, the Republicans have been uh, very strategic and ruthless, frankly, um, in the tactics that they will use to win that game of inches. And sure, they're also playing like uh, a larger game, too, where they're trying to sort of dismantle things writ large. And that's that's, you know, part part of the plan as well. Mm -hmm. But um, it's absolutely the case that that carving off here and there a little bit can get you really, really far, especially down ballot, which is why Republicans engage in those tactics perennially.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not sure if you have the answer to this, Gabby, but How can voters deal with intimidation at drop boxes and polling places? Because we've seen reports of that happening. And just to arm everybody with the possibility that that could happen, uh, is there sort of a list of best practices for walking that gauntlet? Also, have you heard any reports of this yourself? And how can people navigate all of that nonsense? Yeah,
0: so this is something that has been... um uh, particularly present so far this year in Arizona, and um, with uh, uh, early early voting uh, places and and ballot boxes being, um, uh, you know, sort of the
4: presence, yeah, yeah, the presence yeah.
0: of 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 armed and uh, menacing figures uh, from from the Republican and the right wing uh, uh, camps. Uh, sort of stationed there. And, and there's been litigation brought in Arizona already against that sort of uh, voter intimidation. But the point is, I think it it, it this is, this is a goal of theirs is to intimidate and frighten. We can't let them do that. Mm-hmm. We can't let them frighten us away from the ballot box. And every state has an election protection um, system set up. There's also a national election protection hotline. Um, it's, Uh, 866-OUR-VOTE. Wait, wait, what is that again?
2: 866-OUR-VOTE? Okay, Yeah. gotcha. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, When I was a lawyer, well, I'm still a lawyer, but when I was a practicing lawyer during the Obama, uh, first Obama and second Obama uh, presidential elections, I did a lot of work with uh, voter protection, election protection, uh, womaning the hotline to, to make sure that folks who were experiencing problems Um, at the ballot had uh, a way to to gain recourse. And so, um, you know, what I would say is that we can't uh, allow them to intimidate us. Um, We have to be strong, we have to be willing to vote. And there are resources uh, available if we encounter um, that sort of illegal activity on their part.
2: We really need UN election observers. I think that's <laughs> it's getting that'll obviously never happen here. Uh, but it's one of those things that we've seen it happen in other nations, and the very idea that we're even joking about something like that is kind of a sad statement for the condition of our democracy. And I hope. I hope desperately that this election is one big step in terms of mitigating and pushing back, marginalizing this uh, this awful movement toward fascist idiocracy in this country. So that being said, how can we support and follow Sister District into this final stretch, Gabby? What can we do to help? Uh, We need to leave it all on the field, as they say, in the sports. So how do we do that? How do we support Sister District?
0: Yes, I love a good sports ball metaphor. Yes, <laughs> the sporting ball. We must leave it on the field. Um, yes. So, as you mentioned, I my organization is Sister District. Mm-hmm. We are solely focused on building progressive power in state legislatures, and each year we set we select a strategic set of state legislative candidates, progressives, and we support them with field and fundraising, small dollar fundraising. Um, So this year we've endorsed uh, 36 candidates in, I think, 10 um, different states. Very, very critical races. These are often the folks who will decide the majority uh, for their chamber or that are in a very fragile position of uh, potentially losing their seat if we don't um, invest this year. And we are, well, I'll say um, we're closing our fundraising for, we've raised over a million dollars for our candidates. So it's all grasped. Small grassroots dollars, $5 here, $10 there. Um, We're closing our fundraising on Saturday. So if you'd like to donate, now's the time, sisterdistrict.com. And we are running national phone banks every day between now and the election, often several times a day. And we've got a ton of really, really fun VIPs, special guests who are joining us. uh, Throughout the the rest of this GOTV period, we uh, have Jonathan Van Ness joining us we just had julia louis dreyfus um and jason alexander and uh, wow. uh lots and lots of really really fun but we had david cross uh, i think he joined us on halloween i'm not sure if he was wearing a costume i'll be disappointed <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, it's really fun. You just join us on, you know, we all get into a Zoom room uh, and kick things off with our guests and, and have some fun there. And then everybody goes on mute and makes some calls to our, to voters in our candidate's district. And then we come back together on Zoom and we chat some more and have some fun. Um, so it's a, and we do a training at the top. So even if you've never phone banked, uh, we'll, we'll make it easy for you. So if you just go to sisterdistrict.com, uh, you'll find ways to sign up for our phone banks and, um, and to donate to our candidates, join our, our email list uh, to find out you can get involved with your local team if you'd like to we have over a hundred teams across the country um or you can just you know hang out with us remotely on our uh national phone banks and and all the rest so there's still a lot of time to get involved uh this election is not over and and the outcomes are not they're not guaranteed right which bob as we said this is this is already a big win for Democrats to be yeah. in the game this close to the election. Very unusual. Usually, as we said, the president's party uh, is uh, uh, often this, not this competitive. Mm-hmm. So we can still make a really big difference. Now is the time. This, you know, over this week and weekend, come and join us for an hour. Make some calls. Your your hour of volunteer time and your dollar investment. Their return on investment is so much higher at the state ledge level than it would be, you know, spending an hour on the phones for, you know, uh, a, a, a U.S. Senate race, right? They're just right. so big. Those races are, you know, donating $10 to a Senate race is going to raise $50 million. Like, why? I'm mm-hmm. um, saying <laughs> do it, but... Uh, but you can also bring some state legislative love into what you're doing as we all head down the final stretch here. Is that I don't know if that's a, a sports ball metaphor. I don't, you know what?
2: I don't know either. I, it might be a horse racing thing. I'm not sure. But you know what? <laughs> One of the reasons, uh, Gabby, that I'm feeling more optimistic than I usually do uh, right before an election is because of the hard work that you're doing and Sister District is doing. The, this focus now that is has been a long time coming on the Democratic side, this focus on state legislature races, this is so crucial to the future of democracy and pushing back against all of the awfulness that we're seeing uh, emerging out of the Republican Party, uh, especially lately. So, that's reason to feel positive, to feel, in some cases, radically optimistic about uh, the future of democracy. Sisterdistrict.com, that's where you go to support this thing that is going on at the state legislature level. And uh, the deadline is, of course, Saturday. So thank you again, Gabby, and I'm so glad to have you back on the show this week.
0: Thanks so much, Bob. And yes, cutting off fundraising on Saturday, but we're phone banking all the way through till polls close on Tuesday. Perfect. So you can check us for a phone bank anytime before polls close on Tuesday.
2: There you go. Well, thanks so much, Gabby. Take care and uh, we'll see you Tuesday night. (laughs) Fingers crossed.
0: (laughs) Have a good
1: one. All
2: right, take care. (music) Bye-bye.
1: you had for the future get pushed aside and the dreams you once held so